Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and we've got an update on what Christian ministries have been doing to relieve the suffering there. And the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria have now claimed, according to some estimates, more than 45,000 lives. We'll have also an update on relief efforts and how you can help. We begin today with a story that's been in Christian social media for the past week or more, and that's the Asbury Revival. On the morning of February 8, a seemingly normal chapel service was taking place at Asbury University's Hughes Auditorium. It included a message about confession and repentance. After the service was over, a group of students stayed behind to continue praying and worshiping. Then more joined them, and a few students hanging out after a chapel service soon turned into dozens and then hundreds of people. They continued to pray together throughout the day, and by the end of the day, the word was spreading on social media, and people from the small town in Wilmore, Kentucky, where the college is located, started joining in. The students were reading scripture, praying, singing, and sharing personal testimonies. Uh, Asbury Theological Seminary is located on the campus as well, and the seminary's vice president of formation is a man named Matt Barnes. He said this, God began pouring out his love among the students in a profound way. The worship continued into a second day and a third, and social media accounts have attracted people from thousands of miles away. Yeah, this is not the first time that something like this has happened at Asbury University. Uh, The Asbury Revival of 1970 also took place in February. Uh, That year, Dean Custer Reynolds invited students to share personal testimonies during a chapel service. Uh, What started then was a revival that lasted about 144 hours or around five to six days. The chapel was filled with rejoicing people. Classes were canceled for a week. Even after classes resumed, uh, Hughes Auditorium was left open for prayer and testimony. What's going on at Asbury now seems similar, but there are also some important differences. Yeah, there are. uh, Without taking anything away from what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives there, I think it is fair to say that social media is playing a big role. Hughes Auditorium holds about 1,500 people. Another building that holds about 1,000 people on campus has been opened, and people are standing in line to get into one or the other of these buildings. The college and seminary combined have a student body of less than 2,000 students. So it's pretty obvious that people from outside the campus community are now coming to participate, and that's been fueled by social media. So are you saying that's a bad thing? 
No, not at all. In fact, it may be that in God's good providence, he is using social media to spread the revival to other places. Uh, I believe God is sovereign over all, and that includes technology. So uh, there's no reason why God couldn't use social media and other forms of technology uh, in the hands of his people. I'm just saying that it is undeniable that social media is, in fact, playing a role. Are there any other differences? Well, one of the hallmarks of the 1970 Asbury Revival was that thousands of so-called witnessing teams went out from the college over the next couple of years to share their testimonies in churches. Uh, The lives of many of the students were permanently altered, not only by what happened on campus during those few days of revival, but also what happened afterward during those two years where many of them were speaking in churches and seeing the Holy Spirit use them for ministry. Now, that could in fact be happening now, but it may be a while before we know that. And that's why as Christians, I think we should welcome, even rejoice in the events that we see happening in Asbury. I know there's been a lot of criticism of the revival online, and I think that while Uh, It is appropriate to do what the Bible says, and that is to test the spirits and reserve judgment that this is, in fact, a true revival. We should also, in like manner, hold back on our criticism. After all, as Christians, we believe that God is at work in the world, and many of us have been praying for revival for years, even decades. So I think the real tragedy, in my view, as I'm looking at the Asbury revival from the outside would not be that this is a fake revival. Uh, I've covered a lot of so-called revivals over the years, and the fake ones generally collapse under their own weight eventually. Uh, No, in my view, the real tragedy would be that this is a revival and Christians fail to see it. Well, Warren, let's move on to some other stories. Now, one of them involves a pastor in the Foursquare denomination who claims that he's been locked out of his own church for attempting to leave the denomination. Yeah, that pastor's name is Mark Wilson. He's the pastor of the Foothills Church of Gilroy, California. And he says he was fired by the Foursquare denomination and locked out of his church building because of some concerns that he has uh, about the denomination, especially the local leadership there. Foursquare, for those who don't know this denomination, is a Pentecostal denomination that was started in 1923 by the controversial uh, preacher Amy Simple McPherson. Uh, One of its most well-known leaders was Jack Hayford, who died uh, just last month. In fact, we covered his death here at Ministry Watch. The denomination claims about 8.8 million members worldwide. Wilson had been the pastor of the Gilroy, California congregation since 1990, so more than 30 years, and he said that the church had begun a withdrawal process in May of 2022, when after much deliberation, he and his staff and the church council sent a letter to Foursquare leadership informing it that the church would be exiting the denomination. They cited various reasons, among which were disagreements with policy and staff decisions the denominational leadership was making. 
Wilson also said that bureaucracy within the denomination was impeding its ability to conduct ministry. For example, he cited um, the fact that they wanted to start a preschool in the area, but were being held up by the denomination from doing so. Now, the congregation also purchased its building back in 2003. Wilson said that they put $500,000 as a down payment on that building and had been making mortgage payments uh, to uh, pay off the remaining $2 million debt and had done so over a 20-year period. It also paid cash to renovate the building. However, the denomination's bylaws state that it, the denomination, actually owns the congregation's building, assets, and finances. On February 13th, Wilson said he was blindsided by local leaders arriving at the church building, announcing he was fired as pastor, placing the church staff on paid leave, and seizing the keys of the building. Now, Wilson said that other congregations had been allowed to leave the denomination with their buildings, but his church was not. Uh, The Foothills Church doesn't plan, though, to give up easily. It will be seeking legal counsel and is currently searching for a temporary place to meet. Now, of course, the Foursquare denomination has a perspective on this as well. Uh, They told Ministry Watch that it has done nothing improper. They acknowledged that there had been a few, very few, they said churches that did leave the denomination with their own property. But in this case, they said that the Foursquare denomination was simply asserting its rights as the true and lawful owners of the building. And that unlike in those other cases, the denomination wishes to maintain a continued presence in Gilroy. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, updates on ministries doing work in Ukraine, Turkey, and Syria in the midst of war and the destruction of earthquakes. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next, the story we promised before the break. In the wake of what may be Turkey's deadliest earthquake ever, Samaritan's Purse, the Christian humanitarian relief organization, announced it would send a 52-bed emergency field hospital to the country. The mobile hospital is already on the ground there in the city of Antakya, which, if that doesn't sound familiar to you, you may know it by the name that we often in the United States call it, 
Antioch, a name famous in Scripture. Uh, the organization said that it will also send 100 medical and technical staff to the ravaged region. A spokesperson for Samaritan's Purse told us uh, some of those personnel have, in fact, already departed. The death toll in Turkey continues to rise. Officials now say more than 45,000 people are dead with the result of earthquakes and devastation in southern Turkey and Syria on Monday. The twin timblers were massive, 7.8 and 7.5 on the Richter scale, and they came within 10 hours of each other. Now, the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital will include two emergency operating rooms as well as a pharmacy, and it got there uh, because Samaritan's Purse was able to charter a 747 aircraft that left from Atlanta uh, on Thursday, carrying roughly 90 metric tons of cargo, including hygiene items, solar light and tarps, and other materials, the spokesman said. By, by the way, if you'd like to provide financial support to the relief efforts happening right now, Ministry Watch has produced a guide to organizations working in the region that have high scores from us for financial efficiency and transparency. I'll have a link to that story, that guide, along with a description of the organizations that are actually boots on the ground in those countries in the show notes for today's program. Warren, let's shift our focus to the Ukraine. We've been reporting on this situation and how Christian ministries have been helping for more than a year. So what's the latest there? Well, we are right at the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In 2022, Eastern European Mission began soliciting donations to provide women and children fleeing the war with medical care, food, clothing, shelter, and other necessities, promising that 100% of the donations would flow through uh, to uh, the folks in Ukraine without overhead or processing fees. Uh, Eastern European Mission's relief efforts rely on its decades-old network of regional ministry partners there. President Bob Burkle says $2 million were raised last year for Ukraine aid, and that 15 to 20 percent of EEM's current donors are new supporters who joined the relief efforts. In January, EEM launched a new Ukraine Humanitarian Aid 2023 campaign, which seeks to raise about a million and a half dollars to provide winter clothing, solar-charged power stations, food, water, medical supplies, transportation, and more bomb shelters to displaced and homeless Ukrainian families to survive uh, the most barbaric wartime winter conditions. EEM reported distributing almost 2 million Bibles and books during 2022 in addition to the humanitarian relief. That was actually up from the year before. So interestingly, their core mission of providing Bibles and other materials has actually been enhanced by uh, their relief efforts. Uh, The ministry also said that it added its first Turkish language resources this past year. Resources uh, from EEM are now being published in 25 languages, reaching 35 countries. Warren, before we take another break, let's look at one more story, and this one from here in the U.S. New research indicates a majority of Southern Baptists are 
over the age of 55, while a much smaller percentage of the convention falls in the 18 to 35 age range. A survey distributed to messengers at the 2022 Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting reveals that just 5% of respondents were in the under 29 range, 18 to 29. The highest percentage belonged to those over the age of 60, which represented more than 27% of the 1,000 survey participants. This convention data reflects a similar story as other research on Protestant religion in America. Yeah, Ryan Burge is a researcher and assistant professor of political science at Eastern Illinois University. He's somebody that we turn to often for this kind of analysis. He recently tweeted from Harvard University's 2020 cooperative election study, which indicates that 57% of Southern Baptists are older than 55, and only 15% are under the age of 35. Will Standridge is a student pastor at Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas, and he told Baptist Press that these trends are not unexpected, but he hopes there'll be a wake-up call for SBC leaders. He says that the moral failings of senior leaders of the SBC have had an impact on young people. He says the size of youth groups in SBC churches has been declining and that more young people view what he calls the high-level hypocrisy in a negative light. He concluded with this, I would really love to see the Southern Baptist Convention recover character in leadership, uh, meaning we will continue to put the right kinds of people in places of leadership and not merely those that have the right kinds of talent. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, we've been covering a Christian publisher, David C. Cook, for a couple of years, in part because it's one of the largest Christian publishers in the nation, and in part because we've seen a decade-long string of almost uninterrupted financial losses there. That streak continued when it released its 2022 financial statements recently, showing a $5 million loss. The organization has done a house cleaning of senior leadership recently, though, and it promises a turnaround. Now, to read our in-depth profile, go to ministrywatch.com, and you'll find Steve Raby's profile of David C. Cook right on the front page. Another large Christian organization, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, is also undergoing change. 
Yeah, TBN was founded 50 years ago this May by Paul and Jan Crouch. They started broadcasting Christian programming just a few hours a day from a small TV station in Los Angeles. Now, 50 years later, Trinity Broadcasting Network claims to be the world's largest Christian television network, though I should add that it declines to provide any sort of ratings that back up that data. Now, the son of a uh, Paul and Jan Crouch, Matthew Crouch, and his wife, Laurie, run the family-owned empire, which has experienced years of staggering losses as well, all of them covered by corporate assets that at one time topped nearly a billion dollars. Income has steadily declined from about $207 million in 2006 to less than $100 million, about $96 million in 2020, which is the last year uh, that we have data for. Uh, TBN that year, 2020, reported losses of nearly $27 million. But TBN is also making changes. The new team has made changes in programming, renaming Praise the Lord, its flagship show to simply praise, and adding a slew of conservative political shows. Now, it remains to be seen if this programming uh, will reverse the tide. This new programming will reverse the tide. TBN's media department didn't respond to our questions, and a publicist with Epic, which represents uh, TBN, declined to answer any questions about finances, viewership, ratings, and recommended that we contact TBN directly, which of course we did, and they didn't say anything about those things either. But there is enough information already public so that our reporter Steve Raby was able to write an informative profile of the organization. And if you'd like to know what's going on at one of the nation's largest Christian broadcasters, I recommend that profile to you, which once again, you can find at ministrywatch.com. It's on the front page of the website. And who do we have in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, this week we have Lutheran Services in America. It's an interesting organization. It was founded in 1997, and uh, it serves more than 300 independently operated Lutheran health and social services nonprofit organizations uh, as an advocacy group. It has a staff of about 20 people in Washington, D.C., and it makes sure that the interests of the Lutheran Church, and not just the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is the largest denomination, but also the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church as well. The aim of Lutheran Services in America is to champion Lutheran social ministry by building connections on Capitol Hill and in other places in government. Uh, by the way, I should add that um, they have a donor confidence score of 73, which uh, is in the give with confidence category and four stars in f- terms of financial efficiency out of a possible five stars, which is also one of our top ratings. Who did Christina spotlight in Ministries Making a Difference? Hope Place Church in Corbin, Kentucky is one of the ministries she's highlighted. They've opened a sober living house for men and women coming out of drug, alcohol and drug rehab programs. Hope Place Church was uh, born out of the Basket Ministry, which is a Nazarene Compassionate Ministries distribution center that provides sanitary items like soap, 
uh, laundry detergent and toilet paper to families in need. By the way, Nazarene Compassion Ministries has a five-star rating from Ministry Watch and a donor confidence score of 96, which is one of our very top ratings. I also want to mention Medical Teams International. They're one of the organizations working in Ukraine. Another organization that has a give with confidence score from us and an A transparency grade. They're one of the organizations, by the way, that we highlighted in our guide to giving uh, to people that want to know how they can give in Ukraine. So uh, once again, go to the front page of our website in the search engine, type the word Ukraine in, and lots of stories will pop up, including our guide to giving there. Any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I'd like our listeners to know that if they give to Ministry Watch during the month of February, we'll send them a copy of the book, Handling Allegations in a Ministry. It's written by an attorney, Teresa Lynn Sidebotham, someone we've had on our podcast before. This is a valuable resource for pastors, elders, deacons, ministry leaders, and others that are active and involved church members and ministry donors. It's our thank you gift to you this month for a donation of any size. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Jessica Alteralde, Kim Roberts, Bob Smetania, Dale Chamberlain, Yonat Shimron, Timothy Cox, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. Special thanks to Baptist Press and churchleaders.com for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. Mm-hmm.